Greetings, you Brisbane chin pinchers. You joyful pricks. Wandering aimlessly around your hot city. With its fruit bats that hang off the bridge. And lizards in parks and massive spiders. Pinching each other's chins. And putting it on the internet. For others to watch. How are you getting on? Welcome to episode 90 of the Blind Boy Podcast. 90 episodes. That is correct. If you're one of the many new listeners. um, Go back and listen to other episodes. You don't necessarily have to go back to the very start. Some people do. But the podcasts are non-sequential. So I'd suggest just get into the podcast by... Revisit some of the early episodes. Pick one at random if you like. Or start from the very start. Because there is... I'm just realising with this podcast, I don't really know what the podcast is about. Um, It's not a podcast that's easy to explain. So the best thing to do is just listen to listen to some of it, you know. Um, I'm a busy, busy boy this week. Very busy boy. I've been fucking busy for the past two months. I'm, I'm never allowing myself to get this busy again. Um... To put it into perspective, I'm in, I'm at the finishing stages of a television program and a book, right? I have no business doing both of those things at the same time, um. But I did because I just, I don't know. I don't turn down work. I'm just like, if if work comes in, I remind myself of a time when I didn't have work available, so I just go fuck it. Yeah, yeah, I'll do a TV series and a book at the same time. Fuck that. So, it's, uh, stressful isn't the word, just I don't have any leisure time at all. I'm actually recording this podcast now, I'm recording this at two in the morning. Um, so that's how busy I was today. But, today I had a meeting with my, my book editor, my first proper meeting about the the first draft, and it went fantastically. Um, so I'm very, very happy with that. San Francisco are after banning e-cigarettes, which I just saw on the internet today. Um, if you'll be listening to the podcast, you'll know that two weeks ago I was in San Francisco. I recorded the podcast from a, a street corner there. And yeah, the lunatics, they're after banning e-cigarettes. They're the first city in the world to ban e-cigarettes. So it's going to come into effect in 2020. Um, like, firstly, when I was in San Francisco, it's really weird. I haven't experienced it. I, I knew California, in particular, are strange about cigarettes, okay? C- California have always been quite pioneering in the demonization of cigarettes. And fair play to them, you know? But I wasn't expecting... So, I, I you know, I ended up buying a box of fags over there because I was on the lash. And the next day... I was like walking down the road and because I had a hangover I decided I'm going to light a cigarette and it was me walking down the street and there was this woman coming up and she must have been 40 feet away and she saw me with the cigarette and started passive aggressively coughing and then I noticed other people doing it and then and this was the maddest thing I saw this this lad walking down the, the street in San Francisco 
and he was holding his cigarette the way that you'd hold a joint if you were 14. Like, you know, if you're 14 and you're smoking a joint, like, you don't want anyone to see it. You don't want, like, an adult to see it, and you certainly don't want to get caught by the guards. So you hold the joint in your palm so that it's essentially hidden by your fingers. I saw a grown man in San Francisco doing that with a cigarette. So cigarettes are really demonised. Then I was vaping and another person passive-aggressively coughed at me from across the road because I was fucking vaping. So there's a cultural thing with the demonization of smoke or vapour that exits people's lungs in San Francisco and it has been solidified today because they're banning e-cigarettes. Um, their rationale and, and they're kind of half right in America there are these e-cigarettes called Jules J-U-U-L and they're very much they say they're not targeted at children but they, they kind of are right first off in America most of the people who are smoke or who are vaping these Jules are teenagers right and a jewel is, it doesn't look like a vape that I know. It, it kind of, it almost looks like a USB stick, right? And you don't put fluid into it, you buy jewel cartridges. So it's quite expensive. But these jewels are fetishized very much by young teenagers in America. It's the new cool thing is the jewel. And at the end of the day, like I vape... Um, I, it, I don't experience any adverse health effects but at the end of the day there's nicotine in it and I, I vape because I'm addicted to nicotine so I don't agree with 14 year olds vaping and getting addicted to nicotine it's, that's no crack so in America they're marketing sweet flavoured jewels to children so this is being used as the rationale now and it was voted into effect S- fucking e-cigarettes are banned in San Francisco from 2020 um, you can't buy them. You, you won't be allowed to buy them in a shop. So all the vape businesses in San Francisco are going to close. You won't be able to buy them in a shop. And you can't even buy them online. So I don't know what that means for someone using a vape in public in San Fran in 2020. But their attitude towards cannabis then is completely different. In California, cannabis is, is legal. And what you find there is... Most people in America, they don't smoke joints. They Because it's legal now, what's very, very popular is, is vaping weed. And not even vaping as in, not, not even buying weed, but like, they sell little cartridges of weed fluid, and people smoke that, and it smells like weed, and it gets you stoned. When I was in bars in San Fran, that's what people were doing. You'd smell weed in there, but they were vaping it. So that remains legal. So, yeah, that's that's two crazy things that happened before I, I... Another thing I narrowly missed when I went to America, and this is really fucking freaky shit. Um, so, when, when you go to America, right, you have to apply for your travel visa, your ESTA, which is just a simple... Anyone who's gone to America knows it's a simple online form. It's 15 quid. You send it off, and then it comes back in two days later after they do a little background check on you so in the ESTA form that I filled out at the bottom of it 
there was an optional section that said um, provide us with your current social media handles and any emails that you have used. So I was like, why the fuck would I do that, Yanks? Why the fuck would I give you my social media handles and any email I've ever had? Why would I do that? So I chose to untick the box because it was optional. The day after I arrived in America, that policy became mandatory. So now anyone who is going to America, no matter who the fuck you are, if you want to get a visa just to go on holidays in America, you are legally obliged to give them your Facebook address, your Twitter address, your Instagram, uh, your current email and any other social media that you once had. Okay? And if you don't, then you're lying. So if, if, if you if you decide to pretend that you don't have Twitter or pretend that you don't have Facebook, like, you're now lying to get into a country and if they catch you, that's it, you're banned forever. The other thing too is like, so what, what they'll actually do with it is, and this is all because of Trump, so you apply for your ESTA, you put in your Twitter, your Facebook, so they're going to run a background check on your social media before you're allowed into America, right? So that means, like for me, I'm fucked, right? I, I am, um, if they ask me for my social media handles, I'm just going to have to go, yeah, rubber bandits on Twitter. Like, I'm a, a left-wing kind of commentator, I'm... You know, I, I'm not particularly kind to Donald Trump. I'm quite... The Yanks would consider me a fucking real lefty socialist. So, if they go through my... If I want to go to America and they go through my Twitter handles, I'm just going to have a huge big red flag beside my name because it's like, this guy's coming in here, he's got a Twitter account with 200,000 followers and here's a bunch of shit he said about Trump. And then they go onto my YouTube and... We made a song about Trump like two years ago called Donald in the Distance. So I have no doubt that that is enough whereby when I go to America and I go to immigration, like I've got a big red flag above my head and they're going to take me into that um, secondary screening as they call it. And I've got friends who've been through, like I don't know if you've been through secondary screening in US immigration. I I've, Have I been secondary screened? I have before. No, no, I've never been secondary screened. I've I've been grilled and I've been asked questions a lot, but I've never been taken aside separately into that other room. One friend of mine was, because it was quite fucking... So a buddy of mine who's a, a metaler, he's, he loves his heavy metal, he... Well, he's head-to-toe in tattoos as well, and this is this was before tattoos were cool. This was before, like everyone started getting full sleeve tattoos so he was head to toe with tattoos on his face as well um and he's irish so i think he had one or two shamrock tattoos now in ireland the shamrock tattoo literally just means i'm irish here's my shamrock tattoo in america if you have a shamrock tattoo that means aryan brotherhood simple as that you are in a a prison gang that's what a shamrock tattoo means there but it was about 2006 and my buddy was going to america for a little holiday and there's a heavy metal band. Are they... What type of metal are they? They'd be, they'd be hardcore metal. And the band is from Los Angeles. And the band is called Terror. So my buddy 
head to toe in fucking tattoos decides to go to America, right? About five years after 9-11, wearing a t-shirt that says terror. So he got secondary screened. He was dragged away to another room where some humorless uh, yanks with buzz cut hairdos um, repeatedly asked him the question, Sir, do you plan on bringing terror to the United States? And he was just going, No, terror are a band that I listen to and I now realise how foolish it was of me to wear a t-shirt that says terror. So they let him in. But, yeah, I, I don't think... I kind of don't want to go back to America now. I, I know that if they have my social media handles and they see here's this fella and he's got hundreds of thousands of followers and he's said a bunch of shit about Trump that's just going to fucking put a red flag over my head and I'm going to get grilled and I'm going to get there's a lot of like I was re- I only reading last week about a journalist an American citizen who came back from Mexico and he got a, a six hour grilling in um at US immigration where they just literally went through his phone his laptop the, his personal photos like what once you go into secondary fucking screening you're 100% at the discretion of those border agents you know you're you're at their there's nothing you can do it's like they decide whether you get into the country or not and once it's it's a real gray area where you don't essentially have rights like this journalist was in secondary screening and he was like I'm here four hours can I see a lawyer but the lads are like well you're not actually under arrest so you're not really entitled to a lawyer and then he's like well can I go and they're like well no you're being detained we decide whether you get into the country so it's this real weird grey area where you just have to grin and bear it and he just said six hours of lads going through every one of his private photographs his notes intimate fucking stuff about personal things about his own life and if he says no then he's not getting back into America even though he's a US citizen and there were times where so he's sitting across on the desk and he's looking at this border officer in the airport looking through his laptop and he doesn't know what the officer is looking at and he's looking through his private stuff and every so often, the officer would pull a strange face at whatever was on the laptop. Um, and this then naturally made the journalist go, Oh God, what the fuck is he looking at? You know, what what private thing in my life? What, what either photograph do I have? What intimate thought did I write down in a notebook? What is making this man uh, show disgust or confusion on his face? So naturally then, this made the journalist, as a human, kind of get up and try and walk towards the laptop. And the fucking... The border officer started screaming at him, Get away, don't reach for my firearm. Which is the scariest thing you can ever fucking hear. Don't reach for my firearm. Do you know what that means? He's kind of entrapping the journalist. So... Yeah, I don't fancy that. I, I, I do think... Because I have a lot of followers, if 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 I go to fucking America, I'm just going to get that secondary screen and bullshit. They can also um, they take your phone apart, even if they like, even if they don't arrest you for anything, even if there's nothing, 
like if you've done nothing wrong i'd say like simply being critical of trump is enough for them to like they can do whatever they want if 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 within their discretion they decide that you are somebody who at least needs to be watched for the safety of the united states they can do whatever the fuck they want so what they do is they take your iphone apart and there's a some type of serial code there and they take a note of that serial code and it effectively means that you can be tracked forever i think it's in, it's very fucked up very very fucked up so like and i don't know like what's like i know anyone listening to this now most people most people are going to go i don't want anyone who can has the right to go through my entire phone emails texts whatsapp whatever they are fully entitled to do that once you are in the border you have no rights to stop them and most people don't even want that it's not even about like oh i don't want them to see that it's like it's a complete um it's an invasion of privacy and intimacy someone's phone where you speak to people where you speak to your friends that has to be considered as a kind of an intimate extension of yourself where you're allowed a degree of privacy like imagine some i don't know some fucking asshole like the thing is as well with these since trump came in like i've heard that they deliberately choose and they pitch the job of border security to pretty nasty people that's what i've heard that because it's gotten so anti-immigration and so especially hostile since trump is in power the type of people that are being hired for this job tend to be quite authoritarian angry people and that's who they want and that's who they choose because like border us border agents are are they're pretty aggressive anyway it's it is frightening when when you go for like i've never met a friendly one ever like i remember when we were do- over doing gigs we'd gone to the us it was a bandits gig and we'd gotten a serious fucking grilling and it was very unpleasant and it wasn't nice uh it made you feel just unwelcome and it's not nice that the tone that they use is, isn't nice and it's not a nice thing to experience and then a month later we were gigging in canada and the canadian fella at the border just asked us what are you doing here and we just said we're the rubber bandits so the canadian fella literally goes oh okay rubber bandits types it into youtube and starts roaring his ass laughing and then ushers us into his country so that was the difference between canada and the u.s but this new fucking u.s business where they're allowed to go through your fucking mobile phone that is not uh the u.s does not seem like a particularly inviting place for me now do you know what i mean and like what what about the you know where does irony come into it like there's a lot of people on twitter who would be you know left-leaning and things like that but you know they will openly identify as communist on on twitter as is their right but you know you do have people who straight up it's like they've read their fucking books and it's like no i'm i'm a communist i'm full-on communist but then 
there's an awful lot of other people, which is which I think is the majority, where, you know, there's Twitter communism or internet communism. There's a lot of people who have, you know, the the Soviet sickle in their in their names on Twitter or on their bios, and their identification with communism is, you know, they are left leaning. They would probably really identify more as Marxist, but their use of communist iconography and things like that it's 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 much more related to meme culture it's they're not full on fucking Stalin Lenin Russian communism you know what I mean Cold War communism they're just like they're left wing and they are fetishizing in a way communist iconography for its mimetic value and ironic humour on, on Twitter and what that carries as a cultural currency on Twitter it's a lot of people like that in Ireland alone loads especially students it's a thing like what does that person do if some chad in US customs is going what's with all the communism on your fucking Twitter profile Um, you see a lot of people using again for you know the internet ironic humour value, you see people talking about gulags, people using hyperbole to speak in, in a communist fashion about, you'll see people calling for the guillotine. You know, the guillotine is used an awful lot as a, a mimetic kind of phrase on Twitter. People will say, uh, you know, even about our own Irish politicians, if the if if the if if the politicians will say are behaving in a very right wing fashion towards housing or things like that, people will ironically say on Twitter, get, give them the guillotine. They don't literally mean chop the politicians' head off, but within contemporary internet speak and meme culture, to say the guillotine or communism. It's just, it's the extreme way that the internet wants you to speak, but the person doesn't literally mean that. And it's a codified language whereby other people within the community understand that. If you say, uh, send such and such politician to the guillotine, most people know they don't literally mean that. What they mean is, if this was in the Russian Revolution, this is the shit that would give that person the guillotine. But what they really mean is... I don't like this person's policies. It's making me so angry that I will ironically and performatively express my internet communism by saying I want this person beheaded. And you will have certain people who go straight up going, no, I actually want them beheaded. But that tends to be the minority. But these conversations are now going to have to happen with US fucking border security with some Chad, some American Chad who just hears the word fucking communism. Like... I've a load of fucking, you know, they're going to go, right, rubber bandits, why have you got a song called Up the Ra? Why do you have a song here with a load of views? And the song appears to be espousing in quite positive terms the designated terrorist organization, the IRA. Why do you have this song? Um, Why do you have a load of videos where you're dressed up as the IRA? Why do you have so many tweets about the IRA? And then I'm going to try and have to have the conversation of, 
Well, no, when I say up the ra in that song, it doesn't literally mean up the ra. What it is is actually, it's kind of an iconic or, or an ironic juxtaposition of the power of that word and what it means to me as someone who kind of grew up after the Good Friday Agreement. I'm playing with the subtext of the word. I mean, specifically when I, you know, when the song says up the ra, I'm, I'm actually, I'm interrogating the meaning of that phrase as it related to me as a young person who grew up in Limerick who wasn't affected by the troubles as such and how up the ra in Limerick when I was a teenager it was it, it it said more about masculinity and being hard and how you'd say up the ra and it would somehow mix in with Tupac it would mix in with Bob Marley and that's what I'm interested in and it's it's actually not even related to be honest to the IRA it's it's a different thing many layers of meaning within a culture relating to that phrase in fact if you direct your attention sir to the the lyrics at the end of the song you'll notice that uh, I I say that Quentin Tarantino Dr Dre and Uma Thurman are in the IRA they're not in the IRA I've no evidence to suggest that they are Um, I also say here in this lyric that I want to chase the English Queen around the field with dog shit on the end of a golf club and I use it with several layers of irony for the purpose of humour. I don't know, can I effectively communicate that in secondary screening to a fucking border control officer from the US who doesn't understand or have access to the the semiotics and like I don't want to be explaining fucking postmodernism. And then he goes, let's look through your searches and he looks through my Google searches and I'm someone who's very passionate about Irish history. My granddad was in the IRA. And I end up just looking like I'm in the RA. And I don't have a defence. I'm trying to say, well no, I'm I'm not I'm not in the RA and I'm not supporting the RA. But why do you have this song called Up the RA and all these videos with you dressed as the RA and then all this search history of you reading about the RA? I'm confused, sir. They're a designated terrorist organization. I don't want that conversation. And that is now a conversation that could very well happen because of the social media screening. And a little disclaimer as well because I don't want my uh don't want to be receiving angry emails from every single art college student in Ireland um saying like uh, excuse me blind boy, but just because I use communist memes or because I have a, a sickle in my biography that I'm not a communist, I am an actual communist. I believe you, fair play. I'm not calling bullshit on it. But what I'm talking about is if, we'll say, your fucking profile photo is you at a Christmas party wearing a red jumper that says all I want for Christmas is the means of production with a big red Soviet sickle wearing a jumper that was made in Bangladesh in a sweatshop if if that's the case I'm I'm going to assume that your interaction with communism is is for its mimetic humor value on the internet there's a lot of that going on that's what I'm talking about communist merchandise is you know it's a thing it's quite popular uh jumpers t-shirts with soviet iconography and people buy these things in fact I remember there was one 
Facebook page at Christmas and they were selling tons of communist merchandise, in particular communist Christmas jumpers. And I I went onto their page specifically to ask where are your Christmas jumpers made because I knew by the look of them they were cheap. I fucking knew they probably were getting these from cheap labour. And I asked, where do you source your Christmas jumpers? I was blocked from the page. So that's a thing that's happening. So anyone who's like interacting with communism in that way where they're simultaneously wearing communist merchandise that might be made in sweatshops, you have to just assume that that person is either ignorant or, or really ironically, performatively using communism for purely mimetic value. If you're an actual communist, then I'm not calling bullshit on that, I believe you. And there are actual communists who also interact with the meme culture. Back to the US immigration issue. And and me personally now as well, and this this is just me being paranoid, but it's also something I have to seriously entertain. What frightens me specifically about that prospect, right? So number one, like I think because you know they they would go through my social media handles and they would just go, "This guy's got a lot of followers, right?" So that that's because that's we say ex- an exception for someone to rock up with half a million Facebook followers, two hundred thousand Twitter. That is exceptional enough to warrant, I think, secondary screening because you, you just you stick out like a sore thumb. So it's enough for them to go right. What's the crack here? This is a person of influence. Uh, what what is the nature of their influence, and does it threaten the United States? That that's what they'd say, and I'm dragged into secondary screening. Right here is this is my fear. What if? So I'm dragged into secondary screening and there's some, like I said, any of my experiences with US border agents have never been pleasant. They're, I have always encountered them to be very intimidating, uh, not particularly nice and a definite, I've always encountered a sense of sadism, okay, a genuine sense of the border officer having a contemptuous pleasure in the power that they have and and seeing the person squirm i've always gotten that vibe because of the way that they 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 ask friendly questions in an aggressive way you know um it's it's they'll come straight in with with something really aggressive such as um oh you're irish i see you're gonna you're gonna go you're gonna do a lot of drinking you're gonna get drunk yeah but they'd say it like that. It's not that funny paddywhackery thing. It's it's they're almost trying to trigger you. They're 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 deliberately saying, "Ah, oh, you're going to get drunk." Um, passive aggressive stuff. I've always had that, so I can't imagine what I don't know a fucking black or a brown person has to put up with. Jesus Christ, if I'm getting it. But here's my thing. So. Let's just say I'm brought into fucking secondary screening and there's this US agent going through my phone. What if, like, they're just like a, a jealous, contemptuous person 
and they look on my phone and they go, who the fuck is this cunt with 200,000 followers on Twitter? Who's this prick? Bet you he thinks he's great. And then, if he wanted to, he could just open my fucking Twitter and delete my account. You know, on my phone, I would have to provide them with actual access to go into these accounts on my phone that my, my fucking career depends upon. Do you know what if they were like, oh he's, a, oh, he's a podcaster. And then they open up my laptop and they log into Acast. And they just decide in that moment, and as a personal thing, as a power thing, as a, as a contempt thing, as someone who enjoys that type of power, they might just go, Ah, the Blind Boy Podcast, what's this? Okay, I'm I'm in the dashboard of this now. Um, I'm going to delete all these episodes. I think I'll just delete the Blind Boy account and eradicate this podcast and then just say, whoops, that was an accident. Like, that's a genuine fear that I have. I, I'm handing a person the power to do that if they want and I have to hand them that power. And what is stopping that person just being that malicious that they would just go yeah I'm going to delete their Twitter 200,000 followers bet they think they're great gone done and then they go sorry what an accident take it up with the US government and like I said that could be being being really paranoid but that's a genuine fear I have When, when I hand over my phone to someone like that I'm handing them over the potential ability to really fucking ruin my career if someone deleted like my all my podcasts which they could do if they had like had the laptop open and five minutes to do it or they could delete my twitter and then it's gone i'm giving someone that power and why would i do that and i don't think there would be any repercussions if that happened they'd just simply say i was exercising my right and my duty to protect the United States by analysing this person's social media I was looking in at their account and I pressed a few things and then I accidentally deleted it and I'm really sorry and there's nothing I can do but I acted in the best interest of my country like what am I going to do? oh sue him but it's like essentially it could be gone I don't know Um, but that makes me not want to go to America put it that way That's it's it's a frightening prospect and and I I say this as well, like, you know, I'm saying that because that, that's my personal fear and I'm being honest about it. I, I do say it with the acknowledgement of, of my privilege. Like, you know, my fear is, oh, Jesus, what if they deleted this podcast that would really hurt my career and my ability to earn a living? But, like, you know, if I was a person from, I don't know, Yemen... You know, like I, 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 I don't go into U.S. customs. I, I don't fear for my physical or personal safety. I think you know my Irishness and the fact that I'm Western keeps me safe from that. But someone from fucking Yemen, someone from Afghanistan, you know, they're worrying about is is the wrong answer here just going to land me in Guantanamo? So I, I do say this with um an awareness of my privilege around it. You know. Uh, so as not to come across as fucking, oh God help poor old blind boy in his podcast, you know. I'm just self-disclosing there. I'm off to Canada next week. 
Um, I'm in Toronto and in, in Vancouver. There's two live podcast gigs. They sold out ages ago. And we're doing two Rubber Bandits gigs. So I had planned on going to Canada. I I'd, I'd penciled it in in my diary as first week of July. Because back then I was thinking, oh yeah, I'm going to have the book. It'll be fucking done. TV series will be done. I'm going to go over with Mr. Chrome and DJ Willie or DJ and we're going to have crack in Toronto and in Vancouver. It's not looking like that this time now. The two boys will have crack. Uh, they're going to have a fucking unbelievable time. I won't. I'm going to be editing my book, possibly doing voiceovers for the BBC programme in my hotel room. And also, I'd love to do a podcast in Canada like I did in San Francisco where I recorded on the side of the street to get that nice... I think I'll go for that. I'm going to do the... When the opportunity arises, I'm going to try and do the kind of travel podcast type of thing where we've got that lovely ambience. So I am looking forward to that. But I don't think I'm going to be going on the lash with the boys, which is disappointing. So Chrome and DJ Willie or DJ... They will most definitely be partying and having crack, but I'm going to be Mr. Work, unfortunately. And, yeah, I don't even think I can chance going on the lash because I I can't risk a hangover. I'm going to have to be doing the gig, going home to bed, getting up, working really fucking hard. So that's a bit... That's disappointing. That is disappointing, I have to say. All right, I haven't gone near the ocarina pause now, and I should have done it earlier, I'd say, but I was hooked into a bit of a rant okay here's the ocarina pause it's a Spanish clay whistle because there may be an advert played I'll keep it low for you sometimes this ocarina can be very harsh on the ears hold up what was that Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. This is Paige, the co host of Giggly Squad. And I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Hello, this is an advertisement for better help. I have frequently attended therapy for the past 20 years when I experience anxiety or depression or when I have difficulty naming and labeling my emotions, identifying my emotions. I often seek the help 
of a professional therapist. To improve my emotional literacy, I've attended therapy in person and I've attended therapy online. If online therapy is something you might be interested in, give better help a try. It's entirely online, it's convenient, flexible and it's suited to your schedule. All you gotta do is fill out a brief questionnaire and you get matched with a licensed therapist and you can switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. So give it a go. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash blindboy today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp.com slash blindboy. That was the ocarina pause. Um, support for this podcast comes from you, the listener, via the Patreon page, patreon.com forward slash the blind boy podcast. If you like the podcast, if you're listening for free, um, if you want to, you can give me the equivalent of a cup of coffee or a pint once a month by going to patreon.com forward slash the blind boy podcast. That's where I earn a living, it's where I earn an income, it's what keeps me doing this podcast every week. If you become a patron of this, you are having a, a huge positive impact on my life and I thank you so much. So, if you can afford it, please consider it, alright? Um, also, subscribe to the podcast. And, do you know what I've realised? I've been telling people to subscribe to this fucking podcast on iTunes for ages. And iTunes has... I think iTunes has been gone off iPhones for about six months. So iTunes doesn't exist anymore on phones. So if you have an an iPhone, if you're an Apple phone, subscribe to this on the podcast app on your Apple phone. If you're Android, Spotify, Acast, whatever. Leave a review of the podcast. uh, Like it. All that carry on, alright? That all helps. Yart. You know, I, I genuinely this week... I had not intended to end up speaking about uh, the customs and immigration thing like this. That was supposed to be a brief introduction to this week's podcast where I was going to I was going to answer more of your questions this week because people were asking, uh, can you answer more questions? So I was going to do that, but I ended up on this whole rant. And what, what I'm realising, as I'm speaking about this situation with US immigration and needing to provide all your social media shit when you sign your ESTA form from now on. What it's making me realise is that the Trump administration and the, you know, the border control that he's overseeing, what they've actually done, they've created what what's called um, a panopticon. And... A panopticon is, it's it's a type of, it's a f- kind of a physical prison design, but it's also a concept. It's around, the, I think it was the 18th or 19th century, at late industrial revolution, when cities became overcrowded and crime became a thing. This is something I spoke about on a previous podcast. When cities became large and with the industrial revolution, crime became a a big problem in societies so prisons became a thing and they were putting people into prison there was more and more prisoners so there was this fella Jeremy Bentham was his name he was like a philosopher social reformer bit of an odd bastard to be honest but Jeremy Bentham he invented 
a form of prison design, okay, which is still used today. And this design of prison was known as panopticon, which means pan means all and opticon means look. So I, th- I think I would imagine it means all seeing. So what a panoptic prison was and what they are is what they found with prisons that have all these prisoners in in a prison, but they couldn't. There was riots. There was. Uh, you know, dissent in prisons, and they needed to, ha- and, and prison guards weren't safe. They needed to have prison guards watching the prisoners at all time. So Jeremy Bentham came up with this idea, which it was a, a means of control, which is kind of psychotic and fucked up in a way. So a panoptic prison, the panoptican is imagine a prison that's kind of circular, right? And in the, in the center, in the center of all the cells in the main floor. There's one guard tower, okay? And basically, the prisoners can't see the guard in the guard tower. But the guard can see the prisoners whenever he, whenever they want. So what it does is, the, panop- the purpose of the panopticon is, the prisoners never know if they're being watched or not. The prison is Kilmainham Jail was designed by Jeremy Bentham to be a panopticon. So it means that you can fit all these prisoners. Like the inside of a barrel. Imagine all the cells are on the walls of this barrel and right down the centre is a rod. And on that rod there is a, a single guard and that guard can look 360 degrees all around them. But the prisoners do not know if the guard is looking at them. So what this did and what Bentham's purpose was with the panopticon is... You have a prison population who they never know if they're being watched or not. So they basically behave as if they are being watched. So it controlled their behaviour. So prisoners basically said, well, I'm not going to misbehave because I can't tell if the guard is looking at me or not. And he might as well be. So I'm going to behave as if he is. And it kind of reformed how prisoners behaved because... They're just like, well, I'm being watched anyway. I'm not going to fuck around. I just won't bother. But it's also kind of... There's something about it a bit unsettling as well. Bentham was a lunatic. Jeremy Bentham, when he died, he put into his will that he would leave his vast fortune to uh, some hospital. But only if they mummified his corpse, right? Stuffed his corpse and left his dead fucking body at the head of the table of the board of directors in this hospital. So if the hospital did this, if they put his body in the on the fucking director's table and they would have meetings every day with a dead body at the end of the table, then he would leave his fortune. And they did. And Jeremy Bentham's corpse was at the, the top of this hospital table for fucking years. In the 1920s, someone stole his head. You can go back to the hospital now and his body is in a glass case, sitting on a chair. It's not at the head of the table anymore. So that's the type of lunatic you're dealing with there. So he invented this panopticon. That's what the US are doing. That's what this is. So most people I know listening to this podcast now, they I guarantee you feel deeply uneasy at the prospect of going to the United States. Because it means that you now, you have to give them your Facebook address, your email address, any email you used to have. 
if you're caught lying there you go never allowed into the place again that's that's scamming immigration because of what we know with the relationship between the US government and we'll say the social media companies what was it called Spectrum was it that big thing that Edward Snowden leaked but basically where Google Facebook were sharing data with the US government so if you give the the if your if your email goes onto your Esther form they're going to run that through their system probably through this big data thing and they'll be able to see your internet search history they'll be able to like we we if you have a gmail that means you're using google chrome there's no escape in it basically right so this is why it's a panopticon if you now are pl- planning to go to america anytime in the future and you know that you're going to have to submit your social media you will now adjust your behavior all right you're now you're you're we are fully entitled to criticize donald trump we're fully entitled if we want to be communists on twitter i'm entitled to make satirical songs about the fucking ra but now all of us are going to think twice about expressing our, our, enacting our freedom to criticize power we're going to think twice about it because we'll go nah how do I explain that to the fucking border security if they bring me in for secondary screening and how is this going to look that's a panopticon you don't know whether you're being watched or not so you adjust your behaviour to accommodate and behave as if you are being watched anyway and what that does is it stops dissent do you know Um, and most people like no, no one's scared of like it, it. It this is what's fucked up about it. Most people, when you say to them, you know, your data is being watched, most people are kind of law-abiding and aren't really doing anything illegal, and they just say, "Well, I've nothing to fucking hide," right? This is different because no one's scared of. You know, if I go to the US, they'll they'll find out something illegal. That's only a minority of people are worried about that. What everyday people are going to be worried about is our phones are intimate. Our phones are about intimacy and dignity. Like I said, this account of this American journalist two weeks ago who was brought in for secondary screening when he returned from Mexico... What triggered the guards is that they're going, right, here's an investigative journalist. He's down in Mexico. I think they were concerned that he was investigating the the human rights abuses that are going on right now at the US border in Mexico and what they're doing to poor fucking immigrants and children. And I think the ICE agents were paranoid that this journalist was investigating that. So they figured, fuck it. I don't care if he's a US citizen. We have the right because he's at the border to pull him in and to do whatever the fuck we want if we deem it to be within the interest of national security. And that's what they did. So, they subjected him to... Like, they didn't... He wasn't... He knew he'd, he'd committed no crime. He, he, he had done nothing illegal. He wasn't afraid of going to jail. What they did is he felt humiliated. They went through 
photographs of his family. They went through hours and hours text messages of him and his girlfriend, him and his mother. Stuff that is private between you and another person that you are fully entitled to have as private. Our smartphones are, like I said, they're intimate and they're dignified. And we should be entitled to having the dignity of our private fucking personal conversations that have nothing to do with breaking laws. They should be ours between the consent that you have between you and the person you're talking to. And it's a humiliation thing. It's a breaking of boundaries. You don't want some, like, I don't know. Not even, like, I mean, there's the obvious one of people have naked photographs of themselves, intimate photographs of themselves on their phones, 100% their entitlement. It's normal, it's healthy. So there's going to be people shaking in their fucking boots going, I don't want some man looking at my nudes and he has full permission and consent to do this while he is, if I'm in secondary screening, right? So I know there's people worried about that. But not even that, just simply... The invasive, strange violation of personal intimacy that a stranger viewing a a private personal conversation between you and someone who's close to you. People who are in relationships, they have arguments over text. You know, they work out some of the things in their relationships over text. They have heated arguments that... Like, this is highly fucking private, and they are entitled to look fucking through that. 100% entitled. And when they bring people in for secondary screening, as this journalist was saying, I can't think of his fucking name or the article that I read it, but that's what they did. It was the humiliation he experienced. Reading messages between him and his man, him and his girlfriend. Looking at photographs of his family. Stuff that's his, that he content that he produces because he doesn't believe anybody else will ever look at it or need to or or have and the entitlement to look at it and that's what he was subjected to and I think that's what fucking freaks most people out and I think what it is is just this growing policy of American isolationism it's the Trump government going we don't want you I don't give a fuck if you're a tourist don't come here fuck off and most people would go, yeah, I don't, I don't care. It, it's, I know Las Vegas is a lot of crack, but it's not that much fucking crack. It's, it's, it's a closing of the borders through ideological means to creating the panopticon, and that's just us who aren't U.S. citizens. So I think if you're not a U.S. citizen, you know, when you apply for your ESTA, you have to give your social media details on the form. I think U.S. citizens. They don't have to provide... They don't. Well, they wouldn't have to sign a form, first of all, because they're citizens, they just have their passports. But they're fully entitled at their discretion to bring in any US citizen they want and look through their phones and laptops for whatever reason, with no explanation, and then let them go free. You know? And it's the abuse of fucking power. And you have to think of the, the type of person who is then scouted for this job like if I 
it would make me feel deeply, deeply uncomfortable to go through someone's private messages, to view stuff that isn't for my eyes and to do it in the presence of the person and knowing how uncomfortable it makes them feel. I That would make me feel terrible. And I think it would make most people feel terrible. It, there's something at a very human level about boundaries and respect that just the normal response to that is to feel a little bit queasy. You know, to invade a, a stranger's privacy like that or, or someone you knew. To go, I'm going to look through all these messages that you just had there with your friend about a bunch of private shit that's none of my business. That makes me queasy. So, in order to get this job, you have to be fucking totally cool with it. Not only cool with it, you have to seek it out. So, it 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 serves sadists, people who get off on power, and probably people who fucking get off on sexual power. Because, like, are you telling me that there's not going to be some fucking agent who's bored and he's there at security and a woman comes up and he goes, I like the look of her. Let's have a look through her phone. I wonder what photograph she has in there. That, like, that has to happen. And all that person has to do is just say, I had reason to believe whatever suspicion I just had reason to believe and I had a look and that's fine I let them go it turned out I was wrong but I had reason to believe that I was suspicious and the other thing it does too for US citizens again in terms of the panopticon like the US like it's it's it serves the narcissism of Donald Trump Donald Trump's biggest biggest fear is is being criticized that's what he hates more than fucking anything he cannot handle any degree of criticism he is obsessed with criticism he is obsessed with people who talk shit about him online now americans who leave their country and come back have to worry about will they pick me out will they go through my phone and will they find the trump tweets and if they find the tweets where they're anti-Trump, they're not going to get arrested. They're entitled to do it. They have freedom of speech to do it. But the agents are also entitled to essentially harass them, invade their privacy, subject them to humiliation. And if they choose, like they did with uh, this journalist, I just I pulled it up here because I've been talking about this article too fucking much and I haven't told you what it is. The article is on a website called The Intercept. The Intercept were... I think they were the people that Edward Snowden contacted with the leaked files. Intercept are pretty good. And then the so it's The Intercept and the name of the article is... I'm a journalist but I didn't fully realise the terrible power of US border officials until they violated my rights and privacy. It's a long name for a fucking article but it's a shocking read. But yeah, so US citizens are now fearful of random subjection to humiliation invasion of privacy and also like they did to this journalist tracking they take a a, a serial number from the inside of your phone and this effectively means you can be tracked at any time and I don't know the ins and outs of it but it doesn't just stop with that phone 
it can continue on leading to you being tracked forever and they can have access to your data and all this stuff that they can do if they believe that you are someone who deserves to be flagged and they don't have to fucking account for any of this shit that's the thing all this started with George Bush and his Patriot Act shit after 9-11 the stripping away of basic human rights if national security is deemed to be at risk and that's where the NSA program came from it's where PRISM came from basically that the protection of the US homeland security comes first and that comes first and privacy and dignity comes second so therefore the government is allowed to have access to all your data and whatever they want in the US it's fucked up and it's a panopticon so I suppose that's what this week's fucking podcast was about because I'm after talking about it for an hour even though I had no intention of that being the thing but I guess it was something that was just on my fucking mind and I had enough to I cared about it enough to talk about it for an hour um, before I go I'll answer I'll answer one question anyway if there's time for a second one I will fucking answer it alright Paddy asks what is on your mind Um, <clears throat> well all that shit there for the last 60 minutes was on my mind there Paddy but I'll tell you what I was thinking about earlier Um, there's this bizarre connection between Barack Obama and Star Trek right now, I I've, I've don't have much interest in Star Trek. I never really got into it. But this weird thing emerged on the internet today. Um, and it's a theory about Obama's presidency and Star Trek, basically. So what it said is that like there, there, was, there was loads of different Star Trek series, right? Now, what interests me is not this specific story, but it's this Star Trek story as it relates to Obama and a second one. So the theory is is that Star Trek Voyager, uh, it came out in the 90s. It was a pile of shit. People didn't really like it, okay? But it was about to get cancelled. And then they brought in this actress, Jerry Ryan. And she played uh, an android or a cyborg called Seven of Nine. And when Jerry Ryan came on the show, she was very good looking, whatever. She was a great actress. The ratings went through the roof. And as a result... It kept getting commissioned. This Star Trek Voyager got commissioned for several seasons because of the character Seven of Nine and the actress Jerry Ryan who played her. And anyway, so she was so busy uh, playing this part on deep on on fucking Star Trek Voyager. Jerry Ryan, the actress, was she was so busy with this role that it interfered with her marriage. Right, um. It, it ended up fucking up her marriage with her husband, Jack Ryan. And as a result of that, their marriage had ended in divorce in 1999, right? But Jack Ryan was a Republican uh, nominee. He was a Republican, uh, he was a senator, a nominee to be a senator in Illinois. And during the campaign, right, Jack Ryan's divorce settlement and things to do with his divorce ended up leaking into the public and it caused uh, and things to do with his sex life it caused a scandal right and this scandal basically caused him to pull out of the race but because he dropped out of the race it left a space open for a young 
politician who was just kind of on the scene, Barack Obama. And he won that Senate seat with a landslide. But basically, the reason Barack Obama had the opportunity to become a senator in Illinois in 2004, when he was only, would have been in his early 30s, the reason that happened was because Jack Ryan had to pull out of the race because specifically because of his divorce with Jerry Ryan, who played Seven of Nine in Star Trek Voyager. So therefore, the Star Trek Voyager can be seen as directly responsible for the rise of Barack Obama. Now, that came out today and people are talking about it on the internet. I've, the only reason I'm mentioning that is I remember, and I can't find any fucking evidence for it on the internet anymore for some reason, but Barack Obama is, is a known Star Trek fan. And I remember when he first came on the scene in 2008, apparently Barack Obama had to, he he used to write Star Trek Deep Space Nine fan fiction. Barack Obama in his spare time used to write episodes of Star Trek Deep Space Nine. And apparently that was so strange and odd that the CIA or whoever wiped any evidence of first off any of the fan fiction that Barack Obama wrote about Deep Space Nine and from what I can see it's either that or the Mandela effect I clearly clearly remember about 2008-2009 reading about Barack Obama writing Star Trek Deep Space Nine fan fiction and me finding that weird and hilarious And now when I search for it online, I can't find any evidence of it. I can find there is evidence that uh, Obama is is a, a known Trekkie. He is a known huge fan of Star Trek. But any indication that he used to write Star Trek Deep Space Nine fan fiction, that's gone. And so is the fan fiction. So I think... Yeah, I think it, it was taken down. It was it was taken off the internet by either the Democrats or the CIA because it's just it was just too weird for the time. I mean, now it'd be fucking fine because you've got Trump, who has uh, you know multiple allegations of sexual assault against him, and no one seems to give a fuck about. But back then in two thousand and eight, I guess a president taking time out to write Star Trek fiction is just a little bit too strange for him to be president. Richie asks, "What do you think of euthanasia?" Um, I'm I'm a I, I I support euthanasia. I absolutely support euthanasia. I think I do, I do think it's a bit silly that it's uh, illegal. Um, people should be entitled to terminate their fucking life if if they're seriously you know they should, people who are fucking seriously ill, people who get diagnosed with cancer people who don't have anything to live for should be entitled to make a dignified choice about their own body to terminate their life if that's what they want to do I think that's I'm okay with that it's none of my fucking business I often don't see the point of uh, that's not fair not don't see the point that that's a bit I don't mean it that way what I mean is 
I struggle with, I struggle to understand the purpose of someone having to suffer just because. Okay? I struggle to understand why, as a society, we have to just go, that person is going to lead a very, very miserable existence until they die naturally. Okay? And a lot of the time, too, look, I ask people who work in palliative care sometimes some palliative care is almost euthanasia to an extent you know they will you can tell like they'd administer like an awful lot of opioids they'll stop feeding the person food i think some palliative care is is about reducing suffering and, and accelerating death but it's not full-on euthanasia um, I don't want to get into it because there's, there's, right, there's a whole other thing with, you know, how do you deem whether a person is able to consent to their own euthanasia? That's a separate podcast. But in general, I believe people should have the right to die with dignity and to die w- without fucking going through unnecessary misery and pain if that's where they want to fight if that's how they want to fucking do it i don't see a problem with that you know i i think it's 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 humane to offer people that agency um all right god bless i'm fucking wrecked it's half three here when i'm recording this because i spent the whole day like i said working with my editor and then i had to do a bit of writing so i'm run off my feet and i have to be up straight in the morning again for tomorrow i'm up doing right in the morning and then I'm off to London to work with BBC so busy bye right have a good one bye bye
Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com.